Pushkin. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Singer-songwriter Caroline Rose has always been a character. Her music videos often feature Caroline as the screwball lead, navigating ambition, desire, and superstardom. Since her 2012 debut, Caroline's music has evolved from an Americana folk sound to incorporating more elements of synth-heavy indie dance and straight-up pop. Now on the verge of releasing her latest album, The Art of Forgetting, Caroline is shedding all of the past pretense and offering up an unflinching look into her inner life in the midst of personal turmoil. The result is an album packed with clever lyricism and soaring arrangements. Caroline produced the album and collaborated with Nick Sanborn of Sylvanesso, who helped stack and distort her vocals. On today's episode, Broken Record producer Leah Rose talks to Caroline Rose about why she wanted to set her living room on fire for the sake of her album art. Caroline also shares an early demo of a song she wrote under a starry desert sky and explains how, aside from herself, Caroline's parents are her harshest critics. This is Broken Record, liner notes for the digital age. I'm Justin Richmond. Here's Leah Rose with Caroline Rose. So let's talk about the new album. Yeah. Where are you sitting with it now? You're done with it. You're ready to start talking about it. Hopefully, eventually, you're going to start touring it. How do you feel about it now as like a completed piece of work? Well, you know, you're catching me at an interesting time because, you know, I wrote these songs a while ago now and... I I wasn't sure what I was even going to do with them. I thought that they were just songs that I wrote to kind of help me through this difficult time. And then it ended up being pretty clear that it was an album. And it's finally coming out, which I'm I'm really proud of it as a body of work. I think it's by far my strongest material and I I'm really proud of that and I I think it's really beautiful. But there's something else that it's it's bittersweet, I think, because it's really difficult for me to have to keep reliving this stuff. <laughs> and I, you know, now that it's finally coming out, I'm like, wow, did I just shoot myself in the foot putting out this really painful material? Yeah. That's on me, though. You know, I did this to myself, really. So it's a mixed bag. The album is very much, it feels very much like it's connected to a situation. 
and a very painful situation. I don't know if it's a if it qualifies as a breakup album, but as far as just that situation goes, do you have enough distance from it? Like, do you feel like you've healed and moved on from whatever spurred this? Yeah, well, you know, it was a series of things that all happened at the same time. So there was like, you know, this like handful of one, two, three, four punches all at the same time that I was just like, and I think the process of moving on, it's not linear. Like you don't ever reach a place where you're like, oh, I'm completely moved on from this. You know, it'll all, there will always be tendrils of things that pull you back into something. And I find myself going in these waves of, right, I'm, oh, I am moved on, you know, I'm in a much better, happier place now. And for a while, I kind of lost my sense of humor. And that doesn't, like, that doesn't feel like the case anymore. But there are moments, I mean, I had one this morning where I was like, just riddled with anxiety and fear. And I'm like, what have I done? I've made a huge mistake. (laughs) Just full of doubt. And and then I get thrown back into you know, the lore of the past of like what I could have done differently. And I think it's always going to be this wave of just vacillating back and forth of being like, oh, I'm in a good place. And then it's like, oh. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you're so honest with this new album, because that's what it feels like. It feels like it's like almost like a primal scream. Like it's obviously you processing some sort of trauma, whether it was one or many traumas. And you like, re- like we're going through it with you. And, you know, I as a listener, I felt very connected to you and, and your pain. But I also, you know, when I think about Caroline Rose, like I know you almost like a character. Is that actually a decision? Or how did you deal with putting forth a more honest and open version of yourself? Yeah, to be honest, it didn't really feel like a choice. It felt more, more like when I was younger, uh, you know, even a teenager, and I felt really isolated in those times. You know, I was like a young queer kid kind of trying to figure out who I was and where I belonged in the world. And these songs, like, it was really similar to that process of just you have to express yourself somehow or else it'll build up and, you know, bad things happen when you don't express yourself and you have all these feelings it didn't feel like a choice because I had to get it out somehow. It's just, you know, also, mind you, all of these things were happening in the midst of the most isolating time any of us will probably ever feel in our whole lives during the pandemic and, you know, being forced to kind of stay inside and be alone as much as possible. So you're just sitting, just marinating in your own thoughts. So to be trying to heal from things which requires looking inward in a very isolating time, you know, that's a lot of loneliness right there. And that's a lot of ripping some big band-aids of like, okay, well, if I'm going to improve my life and if I'm going to try and become a better person, improve my mental health and start to love myself, I have to go deep. And sometimes that's so scary. It's still scary. You know, the characters that you're talking about, they're still me. Yeah. And that was something that was probably my bad of uh, not making that more clear that anytime I was like kind of putting on an act, it was like just a poking fun at a version of myself. Like, right. But this time there were no crutches because I, I wasn't really 
I didn't have any. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. Would the melodies come to you first or would the words come to you first? Like, how was the actual construction of the songs happening? It's always different. I, I don't understand it. But, you know, something's at work. Something's at work in there. Because sometimes, you know, the melody, I'll, I'll just be noodling on the an instrument, the piano or guitar, and which is so much fun because you, there's no gadgets involved. You just sit down, press a note, and it makes a sound. And then you can immediately... There's no waiting. Like you can just make something in, that sounds interesting and there it is. And then the, the song is made. So sometimes it's as simple as that as you just sit down, you hear something and then it's like pulling a thread. You're like, this makes me feel this way. And huh. this other chord makes me feel this way. And you just pull the thread more and more until it's like, oh, this is what this is about. And it's so cool. Yeah. And other times, you know, it, there'll be a line. I'll, I'll be like, oh, this is such a great line. You have some great lines on this album. Oh, thank you. The first one that stood out to me just because the sequence of the album was in Miami, where you're talking back and forth with your mom in the song. Your father and I were in the last stage of our lives. So for God's sake, no more talk about you. Imagine dying. Yeah. You know, you're going through all these like woes and troubles, but then you hear what your mom's going through, what she's facing. And she's like, look, I'm facing death. Yeah. I mean, and that's real talk right there that <laughs> I feel like if only we all did that when we were having kind of getting sucked into our own little worlds and just thought about the fact that this isn't this doesn't last forever. You know, yeah, everything is impermanent and we all have an expiration date, including the good times and, and the bad times. Like they all have an expiration date. So I need that reminder. And then, and at that time when I was writing that song, I didn't have a lot of tools to remind myself of that. I know it seems hmm. really obvious. And now I look back, I'm like, oh, this stuff is so obvious. But for people like me, at least, to get sucked into the, the stream of busyness and things thrown at you and expectations and, you know, ambition. Right. Is that an actual conversation you've had with your mom? It's almost word for word, a real conversation. And when I was making this and when it, the album kind of started revealing itself as a complete thing, I did have this moment where I was like, I haven't held back with myself at all. I'm not, there's no facade here. And I'm like, if I'm going to put this out, I might as well go for it, like go deep and make it as real as possible. And I mean, man, so much of this is real. If there's any quotes in there, like, I don't know if you have the lyric sheets and stuff, but sometimes I'll have little converse, It'll you'll see quotes where I'm having a conversation with myself and these will be like real things that I'm talking, my, the voice in my head is saying. And, you know, sometimes the voice in my head is like the most cruel. <laughs> yeah. Once you started to figure out that this might actually be an album, how did you figure out what went where? Man, sequencing is probably my favorite part of the album making process. You can craft the journey that people are going on. And, you know, normally I will put the more upbeat stuff up front and then and then make it like kind of heavier as you go along or more ethereal or something. And sort of the opposite on this one, I... 
Well, first off, I knew that Love Lover Friend was going to be the first song. I I wrote that really quickly. It just really, I don't know. It, again, the magic. I don't ask questions. Mm. But it just kind of wrote itself. It was just there. And I was like, this is it. This is the beginning of some sort of journey. It just felt like the beginning. And it kind of captured the mystery and the longing. But to me, there's a sort of hope in it. Albeit uh, <laughs> mixed in with some pain. <laughs> yeah, what I thought was interesting about that song, like it's definitely, I mean, it is the perfect first song because it makes such a an emotional statement and sets the tone for the album. And you start out, it's kind of like making a personal statement and I feel like you're advocating for yourself. I'm not your lover. I'm not your mother. I'm not your son. And it feels like you're trying to figure out how you want to be treated in an intimate relationship. And you have this love on one end in your life that is unconditional, that comes from your family. And there's all these like really sweet, beautiful voicemails sprinkled throughout from, I think it's your grandma. Yeah. Who's like, I love you. How are you doing? Are you eating? Like these really like beautiful, basic questions. She just wants to know you're okay. And then you, you know, have the conversation with your mom and you know, mention of your family, which is just like this strong, unconditional love. Yeah, oh, man, that makes me, it <laughs> makes me like kind of weepy. <laughs> well, I should also mention my, my grandma like um, passed away the other day. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Her voicemails are like all over it. I'm so sorry. She sounded just like the sweetest. Yeah, she, she really was. She's like kind of a rock in our family. But even just thinking about my family, we're all so close and going through a hard time and having a family that really cares for one another, it's such a, a beautiful privilege. I just feel so grateful for my family. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know, this album, you're right, it captures a certain moment in time and I don't really consider it a breakup album because that was just like one of the things, one of the things during that time. But to me, it's like, it just will always remind me of a time when I was in pieces and mm -hmm. myself, uh, along with my family and my close friends, like helped put me back together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the other line that really stood out to me is on the last song on the album on Where Do I Go From Here, which is a great last song title. Everybody wants a seat at the table. I just want to be swaddled and rocked in a cradle. Where did that come from? I think I vacillate between being really ambitious about something where I was like, oh, I could make, you know, why do this when you can make something even bigger and greater? And like, it could be like legendary. And then the other side of the spectrum is like, I just want to you know, grow a garden have my quiet little life and never see another soul again. You know, like I kind of flip-flop between the two extremes and I'm trying to like, you know, find a balance between the two. But so often, you know, I, I feel pulled in this direction of this like intense, ambitious kind of like success, you know? And sometimes I'm just like, I want to crawl back into the womb. 100%. Oh, man. Just thinking about your career and ambition and what you want, like if you, if there was like no barrier to entry, no money issues, anything, like how famous do you want to be? 
I can tell you right now that I care more about, and this is something I like work on with my therapist, but ever since I was a little kid, I've always had this like, I don't know, like complex maybe about being respected. Mm -hmm. I really just want to like, <laughs> I want to die knowing I've been, I've, I've made decent enough art to be considered a true artist. That is what I want. And I still want it. And I, you know, part of me is just like, who cares? Just quit. Like, just put out this album. It's so stressful promoting an album and like pouring it. And especially this material is just going to, you're going to hear me cry a lot. This isn't the first time. Like, you know, I'm going to be crying for the next two years talking about this album. But it's really a lot. And, you know, like this morning, I was just like, I think I'm going to do something else after this. Like, I'm, I'm done with music. It really depends on what day you catch me on. I mean, if, if things are going well and people really appreciate it and, and are moved by it, then uh, maybe it'll carry me on to uh, do another one. Is there like a, a marker of recognition, like something that you could finally reach, like whether it's like getting like the Kennedy Center honors, like what's what would be the ultimate marker that lets you know that like I am a respected artist? Oh, that's a really good question because... I don't really care about the awards. It's not that. I think it would be if if some of my favorite artists heard my music or watched my videos or something and were like, this is good. If if Tom Waits was like, I really like this stuff, I'd be like, I'm done. I checked out. I've checked out. My career is over now because I've succeeded. But yeah, I guess that... And, and sometimes that does happen, you know, like uh, you know, directors or other musicians that I really admire will write me and that means so much that that means so much coming from people whose uh, whose art that I also really admire so that gives you like a little like gas in your tank yeah and and all, but I think it's like that but at the end of the day it's really what people the fans send me that makes it feel like I actually have some sort of value like what I'm doing isn't just for me it's it's really to move people and like bring some beauty into the world where there wasn't some before. People actually like send you things. Oh yeah. My friend just sent me this message. They're a writer and they're talking about how the writing on the album, it felt a lot like there's some writing process where you'll write a draft and then you're kind of taking the razor out and you're sharpening it down so that each line is like, razor sharp gets to the point and, and kind of hits you where it needs to hit you. And uh, they were saying that this album really feels like that. Like, hmm. a, you know, there's no extra fluff. And yeah, that really got to me. I was like, maybe I'm finally getting closer to becoming a, tr a real artist. <laughs> <laughs> and your parents are artists, right? That's why I have such a complex. It's uh, I, I have such fierce critics Aside from myself, they're my biggest critics, especially my dad. Do you send him your work and then he gives you feedback? Oh, yeah. And my dad will tell me how he feels. He sent me a legendary email once that I had made a draft in a song because I wasn't, I was like, you know, I'm not totally sure I nailed this one. I, I just wanted to try like a different technique. And so I tried this different style and I sent it to, I sent it to him and he wrote back, oh, great, let me just douse myself in gasoline and light myself on fire. And I'm like, wow, ouch. My dad is very dramatic <laughs> and also hilarious, but 
he he wasn't a fan. And so I was like, well, okay. So do you change it at that point? Like, how do you know, like, when to go against what your dad, because, you know, a lot of times, like, dads can be like God in our minds. Like, do you go against God or do you just, like, do you listen? Well, the thing is, my my dad's still a dad and he's still, you know, an old white man, but he is a genius artist. He's a genius. Like, my dad is one of my favorite living artists. What medium does he work in? Mostly draws, but he's one of those freaks that he could do anything. He decided all of a sudden to become a, become a carpenter and made the, the most beautiful pieces. I mean, he could do anything. Wow. Very brilliant mind. Has no idea of the depths of his talent and needs to be constantly reassured. But he's a true genius. And so when he does tell me something, he'll, he'll say like, this is low hanging fruit or like, this isn't your best material. It doesn't hold a candle to the other stuff. He's usually right. Wow. So I'll rework it and rework it. And it's not like my dad is my main demographic, but I do think that if it's a good song, it kind of permeates demographics. Yeah, that's true. So if my parents are like, I really wish you wouldn't curse so much. I'm like, okay, disregard. But (laughs) if they say something about like the emotional level of the song or something that really it's a real thought that they're moved by in some way. Like it's, it doesn't move me enough or it, there's too many bells and whistles that sometimes that is a critique of my dad. And almost all the time he's right. That's incredible. What about your mom? What does she do? My mom is also an artist. She used to work for NBC at doing mechanicals for a really long time. And so she got really good at like layouts and stuff like that so she does all the layouts for my albums and (laughs) all my friends albums (laughs) so getting back to the album tell me about the thought behind the album cover my friend monica monica murray she uh came to my house and had this special film and it took nine shots to get this really beautiful photo of me in my i have this red chair in my living room and that's where I, I meditate every day and I read. And I have my coffee. It's like my favorite chair. When I moved into this house, I was in the depths of despair. And my mom was like, just make yourself a corner. And so I made this corner with my chair and my plants. And the rest of the house was pretty much empty. And I just sat in this chair for so long. So it was very special to me. And she took this brilliant photo of me in this chair. And I had this fur coat on and I like no shirt underneath, like in my underwear. And it it just was so beautiful. And I was obsessed with this photo. And we were both like, this is so great. We got to do something with this. And the more I sat on it and the album was kind of coming together, I had this idea. I knew the album was going to be called The Art of Forgetting, which is sort of a, a poetic, maybe a more poetic way of saying learning how to let go of things. At first, it was more of like the art of forgetting to protect yourself, like I'm forgetting. That's good. But I knew it was called the art of forgetting. And I sent it to Monica. I was like, we need to we need to make this album cover like with this same photo, but with the room on fire. And then it became like, okay, how are we going to do it? It like, here's our budget. How can we light my living room on fire? <laughs> and... It, it was such a labor of love. Like my neighbor, Andy Flores, is a brilliant artist herself. And Andy and Monica and 
our builder friend Tori came came over and we made a plan to rebuild my living room. Wow. So we rebuilt the living room and it, I, I happen to have a warehouse in the back of my yard that my friends use. And so we borrowed the warehouse, built the set. It was like identical to my actual living room. I was really going to light it on fire and turns out like that's very difficult to do in a city. <laughs> but why not just Photoshop it? Well, okay. So the thing is, I wanted it to be real. I was like, okay, I've gone this far in this album. I'm getting deep. Like, this is real for me. I want it to all feel real. Everything. And so I was like, let's really light it on fire. And ultimately, the reason why I didn't was it had nothing to do with the cost or how difficult it would be. But it had more to do with uh, you can't control the lighting. What you see is what you get. Like, you can only do it once. True. If if the lighting isn't right, then you've just lit your entire set on fire and that's your album cover. And so I asked a bunch of people about this. I asked like um the set designer what, what he does. And all of these people kind of said the same thing. They were like, You have to recreate the effects of the fire and then you can add the flames on top and then it looks very real. And then you've gotta you've gotta use actual smoke. So it actually worked really well because we had control over the whole set. So why are you blindfolded? I find it so funny, like smoking a cigarette in a burning room. Your outcome is not good, but you don't want to see it. Like you don't want to see it. And I I like the idea that people can interpret it in their own way. You know, it can be funny. It can be despairing. <laughs> it can be like suicidal. To me, it's funny because I also tend to laugh when I'm so despairingly sad it's like, you come on, you got to laugh a little bit. Like, this is pathetic. And I kind of felt that way. I was like, this is hilariously pathetic to me. <laughs> fur coat and it's like blazingly hot in there. Right. I don't know. I just, I'm always looking for, you know, ways to shake things up a little bit. Like the athlete with the, all the cigarettes. I know you have such a great sense of humor. I love that. And I love that that's still intact. Yeah, I think I, I like anything that kind of makes people laugh and think at the same time. We're going to take a quick break here and then come back with more from Caroline Rose. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. We're back with the rest of Leah Rose's conversation with Caroline Rose. Before we jump back in, let's hear a demo from Caroline's new album, The Art of Forgetting. 
Here's the demo for her song, Love Song for Myself. If I am a doormat, then I When you sing this song by yourself live, how is it different than what appears on the album? Honestly, it doesn't it doesn't feel that much different to me. I I think there's a little more pro- production value on the on the album, but I 
remember when I wrote it, I was I was out in the desert and it was just like a I, I brought this little nylon string and I was just laying on the ground, like looking up at the stars. It was very idyllic and dramatic and beautiful. And it was sort of like the clouds had par parted and there's some golden hope for me that I would I was learning how to love myself again, like do nice things for myself and I'm like, you know what? Even though I, I feel like I have the training wheels on and I don't remember how to totally love myself again, I'm going to just pretend. <laughs> you can kind of hear that. It's like, well, if I'm a doormat, then I'm handwoven. I'm an heirloom. I'm a treasure on, on the floor. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's so nice. If you can't be nice to yourself, you can at least just fake it till you make it. Yeah, well, hopefully it worked. Yeah, it did work. It did work. Talk about your decision to distort your vocals. A lot of a lot of the songs, your vocals are are distorted a little bit. I was curious, does that change? Does that change your performance, like how you actually perform the song? And does that ever allow you to say things that you wouldn't say without the distortion? I think a big part of a performance is the vibe of it. You know, the sonics and the characteristics that make you feel a certain way. And pretty early on, I made a point that it, it was important that I can play all of the songs by myself solo, even the ones that ended up sounding pretty produced. They can all be played stripped down solo and be a complete song. And I really liked this idea of if you imagine the solo performance as this little small ball <laughs> and this little small ball that is fragile and vulnerable and at any moment could break. And then these big moments of, of magnitude and hi-fi sonics kind of like engulf this little, little vulnerable nucleus. I kept seeing that come up over and over again because, you know, when you're feeling so bad, you do feel like you could, you could combust at any moment. Like, yeah. Humans also, we, we have the ability to create immeasurably beautiful worlds, even from our, the depths of our sadness. And I felt that even in, at the worst moment, I was like, okay, I know I'm definitely toward the bottom of the well right now, but I know that's where I am. But just the view from the bottom is enough to kind of give me some hope. And that really fueled kind of the the textures of the album and I wanted to maintain that vulnerability but also have it feel triumphant and and magnificent and at times really dreamy to kind of emulate that feeling of being able to pull yourself out of despair and recognize your own power even when you're feeling weak. Totally. Did you come up with all of the arrangements? The only things that I didn't come up with were the string arrangements, and those were done by uh, my friend Tallcat and Sammy Weisberg. The strings on Jill says are gorgeous. They're beautiful. I, I, they did such a great job, and they sent me like the rough of it, and then I was like, oh, what if it, you know, what if it swells here and does this, and you move this section here, and then it was like the next draft was done. Pretty much as simple as that. They really nailed it. How did that song come together and how did you come up with the idea for the arrangement? On Jill Says? Jill Says, yeah. Well, Jill's my therapist. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And 
I had been noodling on the on the uh, the piano at my my parents' house when I I visited, and I think I had been listening to a lot of classical music, a lot of Debussy and Satie. I I really love the, all the French minimalist kind of composers, and I I think I was just practicing, and that the arpeggio that kind of is like three or four octave arpeggio. It sounded so beautiful. I was just like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe I can play this because <laughs> I've never really thought of myself as a piano player. But I think those early, early years of piano lessons have somehow, they've never left my hands. Very cool. Yeah, I was like I'm impressed with myself. I'm like, dang, I didn't know I could play <laughs> this well. But I really liked this sort of floral feel to it. it. It was floral and it reminded me of the beautiful times in this relationship that had ended and and I it was like you know and a relationship can end and it doesn't all have to be bad like you can honor it even if you don't have a relationship with that person you can you can still honor your time together and that's what it felt like to me it was like you know a complicated time and but it was a beautiful time and so I I liked this idea that it was almost like a little movie soundtrack it feels very cinematic yeah, it yeah, it is cinematic. I I do think when you put strings on something it automatically sounds cinematic, but even if the strings weren't there, I think this would be cinematic sounding. How do you feel about in a way when you write a song, it's almost like as an artist, if this is your job, you're in a way you're commodifying your feelings. How does that feel for you? This is a tough question for me cuz I am realizing more and more that if I want to make my best work I have to put that out of my mind completely and that includes not even involving anyone to do with business or thinking in a business manner it cannot be involved and that's something I, I actually learned on Superstar which I, I made um, some choices that looking back on it I'm like would I have done that again knowing what I know now probably hmm. not the only regrets I've ever had in my career have been when I've made a business choice over a creative one. Hands down, hmm. every single time. That's been the, the issue. And I did. I made a point of not doing that this time, and I really think that the music benefits from that. So when it's made, I am selling a product, and my whole team, I have a whole team that helps me sell a product, and you know, essentially selling like myself too. Yeah, yourself and like your most vulnerable self. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. Yeah, well, look, I wish you so much luck with the whole promo cycle of the album. And thank you so much for talking with me. Oh, thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks again to Caroline Rose. You can hear her latest album, The Art of Forgetting, along with our other favorite songs of hers at brokenrecordpodcast.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash brokenrecordpodcast, where you can find all of our new episodes. Broken Record is produced with help from Leah Rose, Jason Gambrell, Ben Tolliday, Nisha Venkut, Jordan McMillan, and Eric Sandler. Our editor is Sophie Craig. Broken Record is a production of Pushkin Industries. If you love this show and others from Pushkin, consider subscribing to Pushkin Plus. Pushkin Plus is a podcast subscription service that offers bonus content and uninterrupted ad-free listening for only $4.99 a month. Look for Pushkin Plus on Apple Podcast subscriptions. And if you like the show, remember to share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. 
Our theme music's by Kenny Beats. I'm Justin Richmond. Every week at Broken Record, we meet with legends of the industry to uncover the meaning behind the music, the strategy and history that separate the good from the truly great. That's what Mark Chaikin does, but for the U.S. stock market. Mark is a creative legend in his own right. He worked on Wall Street for 50 years, invented three new indices for the NASDAQ, and has predicted some of the biggest market shifts of the past decade, including the recent mania in AI stocks. Now, Mark says, we're seeing a similar shakeup in the financial markets. He's calling this a new dawn for the U.S. stock market and predicts dozens of specific stocks will soar in the next 90 days. You can watch Mark's presentation for free at marketmessage2024.com right now. Again, the link to watch is marketmessage2024.com. That's marketmessage2024.com. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today.